0: In the entirety of the Conservative Party, there are probably 40 to 50 MPs that believe in Brexit and believe in taking the opportunities. The rest are globalist establishment. And at the top of that is Rishi Sunak. And I do not believe he was a Brexiteer. If he was, do you know something? I didn't see it. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel
1: Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, just like last week I want to start with some reader mail, this one made me laugh out loud so I'm betting you're going to enjoy it as well. Where is central bank policy really created? They're supposed to be independent. However, they seem to work as a pack of dogs. Who is really behind their thinking?
0: The International Monetary Fund, major corporations, uh, yes, they all seem to act and think in the same way. Chart this back over the last couple of years with the growth of inflation in, in our economies. They all got it wrong. They all had the same view. They all decided not to put rates up. Then there was a slight breakout from the Fed, who acted a little bit ahead of the others. The others then followed on. We've now had 10, 11, 12 interest rate rises. And we now kind of, we now seem to be rising. or well, Our rates have risen um, in the face of, even though we've said on this, show many many times that inflation will be more sticky than predicted the signs are that inflation is going to ease back a little bit and so probably probably the Fed will then lead the way with rates coming down a little bit but yeah they act like a pack of dogs they all think the same way um, and they all have the same policy objective goals very interesting I mean you know the euro which is essentially a political more than an economic construct and yet You know, when those big crises occur, they all act together, led by the IMF to do whatever they can to save the euro. So the idea, you know, that Gordon Brown, what, almost 25 years ago, gave the Bank of England genuine independence is for the birds. It's a good example of the reader question we
1: had last week, which was about globalists and globalism. And it seems to me the central banks are a perfect example of that, where what used to be a national debate and a national policy issue has become uh, uh, like a pack of dogs on the international, on the globalist level um, and they all make the same mistake. Do you think that makes the overall effect worse than it would be if you know half the country's got it right and half got it wrong?
0: Well no, I think half getting it right, half getting it wrong uh, would lead to actually probably to more genuine open debate about what the role of central banks ought to be and how they ought to operate and I think When everyone acts together in consensus, uh, the only people challenging it are people like us, Uh, which important though that is, um, that debate is not happening on a big enough scale. That's the point.
1: I was watching a few videos this week of people who were claiming that just as the central banks had not raised interest rates fast enough to rein in inflation, they were now raising them too far too fast in order to try and regain some credibility. And that they were going to trigger some sort of financial crisis to the extent they haven't already, um, as a result of this sort of vain attempt to try and regain their credibility. What do you make of that argument?
0: Yeah, we should not be putting up rates right now. Right now, we should not be putting up rates. We have, we're well, certainly talking UK, you know, zero growth, um, inflation. Yes, I know it's sticky, I know food price inflation is very, very high, but. You know, I don't think there's going to be a big spike in inflation from here any more than you do. I think it will come down between now and the end of the year, not to the 2.9% that Mr. Sunak tells us it's going to be, but I think it will come down. So no, I think they've been too slow to put them up, and I think they've gone on putting them up at a time when they shouldn't be. And as I said a moment ago, it'll be the Fed that leads the way with some rate cuts, probably over the course of a summer.
1: And that's what's moving markets at the moment, the US dollar is falling because the rate, hike, uh, the rate cuts are likely to occur first in the US. In fact, the US bond market is pricing in 75 basis points of cuts by December, which is effectively three interest rate cuts um, by, by the end of the year, which is quite rapid given that inflation is not expected to fall, like you said, uh, to their target. What could possibly happen... In financial markets and economies over the next, what is it, six or seven months that would make them cut interest rates three times?
0: Well, the thinking's is changing, isn't it? The thinking is changing from worries about inflation to worries about almighty great recession. I, I think that's where the thinking is now going. Um, you know, we or really, really, we've been living in stagflation. If you think about it, we've had inflation and stagnant economies, and the worry is, That as inflation starts to come down, you start to get some deflationary pressures, actually, within the overall health of the economy. So I think that's very much in Washington. Um, Thinking in Washington is concerns about recession by the end of the year and a feeling that maybe two or three rate cuts might just stay battle.
1: Two things for readers to keep in mind here. First of all, the idea that central bank is always behind the curve, meaning they figure things out too late. And secondly, the fact that it takes monetary policy a very long time to actually have an impact. Um, so we're probably seeing the interest rate hike uh, effects flowing through the economy right now. Meanwhile, central bankers have gone on and had uh, another 10 or 11, as, uh, as you said. Um, I want to focus on the UK quickly. Uh, some headlines that made me laugh as well this morning, actually. It seems that investment bankers have suddenly gone very bullish on the UK economy and on the pound. Um, not so long ago, they were telling us that it was going to be a very badly performing economy and currency. Now, Citi, NatWest and Goldman Sachs are all very optimistic about the pound, expecting a surge. And we've got the deputy head of BlackRock Investment Institute saying the economy in the UK is effectively overheating uh, rather than struggling. So what did they get so wrong?
0: Well, I think you know, the pound was low and the pound has been very low. It's, it's, it's been cheap and that for private equity in particular makes the UK a pretty attractive place to invest in. Now, look, you know, I'm deeply frustrated that we haven't taken the benefits of Brexit. I think we could be doing so much better than we are doing. But in terms of a currency, against the dollar and against the euro, the pound. I think the pound at 126, whatever it is this morning, I think the pound still looked relatively cheap. So the UK seemed to be a relatively safe place to invest in. Uh, The government able to get guilt issues away without any problem, the big scares of December out of the way. So, yes, I think, you know, as a place for foreign money to come and invest, the UK is relatively attractive towards the others, but let's not kid ourselves. Um, I wouldn't exactly call it boom time.
1: Yeah, there's this strange complexity in currencies where on the one hand they reflect how well a government is conducting its economic policy, and on the other hand they actually improve the economy Ah, uh, by falling when the government is conducting economic policy very badly, well,
0: of, of course, and, and this is the argument for floating rates. Yeah. You know, it's why Italy being trapped in the euro in the end will be a disaster. As a chap I know called Hubble's written a book about that.
1: Let's quickly move on then uh, to the Brexit bonfire story. It's sort of fizzled out, hasn't it? I know you'll be very disappointed about this, but I'm curious what you have uh, what you have to say about the the reasoning and the excuses that are coming from the government whether there is uh whether they're plausible or not because i know you, you must believe there is a a blob in westminster
0: but on the other hand i don't think you can accept this excuse there's a blob in westminster but the real blobs called the conservative party they never believed in brexit they fought against it for year after year after year it wasn't until they were firmly kicked up the backside by me in May of 2019, that they actually got a leader that did believe in Brexit, or Boris Half believed in Brexit. Truth is, in the entirety of the Conservative Party, there are probably 40 to 50 MPs that believe in Brexit and believe in taking the opportunities. The rest are globalist establishment. And at the top of that is Rishi Sunak. And I do not believe he was a Brexiteer. If he was, do you know something? I didn't see him. I didn't see him once out on the campaign trail. he did one little video with some small smallholder farmers in North Yorkshire. I think he was a Brexiteer to save his seat in his own constituency. And yep, the globalists are back in charge, Jeremy Hunt's chancellor. Uh, any idea of genuine supply-side reform to increase our competitiveness is for the birds. And actually, far from becoming more competitive, what I've seen in a number of industries is we're actually in some ways now regulating worse than the European Union. We're actually taking the baseline of EU rules and making things even more onerous. So I'm absolutely furious. I said, I said to Jacob Rees-Mogg last night, live on air, I was teasing him a bit, I said, is this a betrayal of the Brexit promises made in the 2019 general election? And he simply said, yes.
1: It looks like they haven't learned their lesson then, really, that uh, you know, Brexit wasn't enough for a lesson. But at least now they do control their policy, we're going to be able to hold them to account.
0: Yes, that's right. The the local elections last week did that to a certain extent. Um, That was measured against a 2019 set of elections when the party was at an historic low and of the 3,000 seats they were defending, they lost 1,000. And the newspapers say, ah, that means there'll be a coalition. I'm pretty confident there'll be a Labour majority. I think a lot of those people who voted Green and Lib Dem last week will vote Labour in a general election, in a first-past-the-post system. Ironically, first-past-the-post, which the Tories have always defended, might, with tactical voting, leave them actually with a rout when the election comes this time next year. There is no way that those people who voted Brexit, and I'm talking about small businesses, Midlands and northern communities, some voted for economic reasons because they weren't part of the corporate world, Others voted for societal um, and community reasons that they saw mass levels of immigration changing their communities, damaging housing prospects for their kids, the inability to get GP appointments. We've got on May 25th the next set of net migration figures coming out in the UK. They are likely to be 700,000. That is double the high in the years before Brexit. So if you voted... Brexit, because you actually thought too many people were coming in, the population was exploding too quickly. Well, it's doubly worse than it was before that vote seven years ago. And those votes are not coming back to the Conservatives. So I'm afraid the truth is we're going to be stuck with a Labour government, with a high tax, high regulation model for many years to come. It doesn't mean that in relative terms, we might not do quite well compared to our European neighbours, but it means we're not taking the opportunities and the advantages uh, that you and I so very much wanted. And uh, disappointing is an understatement.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question, is how we perform relative to Europe, comparatively speaking. What is the risk of the left and Labour pursuing policy that really is harmful to the UK economy. Because my understanding is, especially from your book, which is, I think, behind me, that old left, old Labour, used to be against the European Union because they see they, they saw the EU as constraining the policies that they wanted to pursue. And now that we're out, is there a chance that those old Labour ideas that the EU sort of prevented them from pursuing, which would be really bad, are going to make a comeback? Obviously, it's less likely
0: under Keir Starmer, but is there a risk? Here? Yeah, it's less likely. I, mean, I, I, I think the truth of it is, that the Social Democrat agenda that Keir Starmer will follow will be exactly the same as the one that's being followed by Sulak and Hunt. And back to the first question of today's chat. Um, this is basically a series of Western governments relying on a high tax, high borrowing, big state intervention model. They're virtually all doing the same thing. This is globalism.